As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. New VanCast to start this final week of the regular season in these scurry times, Tom, with the playoffs already underway. We documented that on the last VanCast, but uh, play on they did. The Canucks through the weekend with a win in Edmonton, and I don't know, I'm not even sure what that was. Last night against the, the Calgary Flames, uh, third period with some craziness. In fact, the only thing crazier was you on Twitter last night, I have to say. Ah, you got to have some fun. You got to have some fun. It's If it's not fun... You're doing it wrong in this business and uh, had to find a way to amuse myself. I did that. I'll tell you that much. And then the game got good. So I stopped. But uh, but, but while it was looking, you know, wrote like a rote blowout. Um, yeah, I, I decided to I decided to have some fun on Twitter. And I did. I, I did have some fun. And uh, and then the game got interesting. I mean, that Jimmy VC JT Miller, like endless two on one. Like, how many cross-crease passes could they possibly have completed? It was ridiculous. Poor Jacob Markstrom. As dry as a, you know, bed sheet <laughs> that's been hanging on the prairies for two hours. Um, brutal. Just awful. And, uh, and you know, that was sort of typical, I think, both ways, right? Like, I think the Canucks hung Holtby out to dry a couple of times, too, right? The Milan Lucic goal, like, Josh Levo's rushed down, you know rush down the left wing looking like a plus plus skater like a burner um yeah i mean you know it, it, it a lot of that game was what we expected but at least you got to be able to credit the canucks players for that hard work a plus plus burner who had his knee uh completely or kneecap yeah. completely reconstructed like a year ago i know uh Look, we, we've said this the last few times we've recorded, like, you know, the games don't really mean much. We're not going to get too deep. Last time we each had our two observations, but we can't ignore it. Like, there was too much going on. We do have to talk about 
a handful of events that came out of Sunday night at Rogers Arena. Now we're down to the final two, these afternoon games. Again, the stakes get lower and lower here. Uh, People will scream about uh, the draft lottery, and sure, there are implications there, but my God, afternoon hockey. Like, the Flames have to get back on a plane to go home. Like, think of the Canucks' motivation after Tuesday. I know. To get on a plane one more time to go back to Alberta to play meaningless hockey. So uh, that's their lot in life. But at 4 nothing, at 4 nothing, like, it was atrocious. Travis Green had to call his timeout uh, just to try to settle things down before it got to 8 nothing. And, and then Travis Hamannick starts great, to come great, back. With great him. coaching. Great coaching. He flipped the whole head game on its head. <laughs> Extend this man. <laughs> I didn't even think to, I didn't even think that's like, that would have been a good army's joke. I wish I'd, I wish I'd like sort of put that together, but I mean, I just wasn't taking the game seriously enough to really get into it. Uh, and you weren't alone. Like, I mean, people were having no. fun at the Canucks expense at the NHL's expense and, and especially after all of the hockey that had been played, but particularly to follow that Tampa-Florida game with that, and then it's 4 nothing, and the Canucks are just getting, you know, circles skated around them. Literally, we're, like we're joking about Levo, uh, Ole Levy, I don't think, did himself any favors with the uh, uh, the slow oh. pivot there. Uh, Gadjevich, uh, John Gadjevich officially a Canuck Tom, and not just because he played, but because he threw a pass into the middle uh, that was picked off, and, and Levo <laughs> opened the scoring <laughs> No, <laughs> no. I mean, you, uh, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> oh, the boy, other thing, oh boy. And then, you know, I, I felt for Gadget's like his NHL debut and he gets in the fight sticking up for a teammate. And that was it because he had to serve 17 minutes of penalties and then the intermission and then the comeback starts and he didn't play after the fight. So uh, his NHL debut, I'm not sure that we can really judge an awful lot other than you know, a good teammate. Like, and he admitted after the game, yep. I didn't even see the hit. But but this is kind of funny now that it seems the only time that an instigator penalty is ever applied in the NHL is if somebody comes to the defense of Matthew Highmore. Well, yeah, and you know what? That's so it, so it goes. Like, you have to defend your stars. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But remember, like, it was Hamannick. <laughs> it was Hamannick that got the instigator a couple of weeks ago. And right, last night... I do, it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Gadjevich was right, by the way. That was not an instigator, in my view. I mean, I don't I don't see how is that an instigator and not Wayne Simmons on uh on Edler? Yeah, we're not relitigating that one, but I'm with you. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just no, saying. I, I mean, Connor Mackey was more than willing. In fact, the there's still photos out there of his gloves off before Gadjevich's. Uh and Gadjevich held his own as I mean, that's one of the things that he's supposed to be able to bring to the He's mix. gotta he's do. Yeah. Big, strong, tough guy, and we'll see what happens uh, with two more games to go. Uh, I'm sure he'll get in again. And I think Lockwood will play tomorrow. And Lynn, you know, probably. I, I would think that Lynn gets another opportunity, right? Don't you? Or- yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he got six games. He got top six minutes for a couple games. I know. And now he can't bump Highmore out of that spot. No. And who can? Um, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see Lind. I was glad you included it in the, in the armies. Uh, the Canucks tweet after two periods when they claimed that they were down a couple it was five to one no like even so good a even couple clay, of couples even clay and caleb weren't buying that they were down a couple <laughs> five to one <laughs> i think caleb was <laughs> maybe <laughs> caleb would have found but, a way but you had that in the armies too i, I had missed the flames tweet about 11 four goal period so uh that was uh, 
pretty sharp comeback, I thought, from the Canucks as well. Yeah, good. Good stuff. I mean, it was a day for sharp comebacks. Um, <laughs> yes, it was. But uh, but look, I mean, there was just no way. There's just no way to schedule these games so that it doesn't feel insanely goofy, right? Like, to to have that game close... You know, did you see the NHL Network? Like, the NHL Network tweeted, like, the perfect way to close your weekend, right? And it's like, the tweet was deleted. <laughs> um, and I went to the front page, the NHL front page, like, an hour after puck drop. And there was, like, no mention of it, except that it was promoting, like, hey, watch the NHL on Disney+. Plus, You know, and it had an image of JT Miller. But it was like, other than that, the game might as well not have happened. I mean, swept under the rug by the broadcast swept under the rug by the league and yet you know the Canucks managed to put a really good effort I think they've really struggled in the second leg of back-to-backs for the most part also like since they came back from COVID this team has really struggled in the second leg of back-to-backs those have been the games where they really don't have legs looked like we were heading that way again last night and then a funny thing happened in the third period like they you know, found a way back into the game. And, and you know, to their credit, I think the effort level was there the whole time. It's just that they don't have legs in these games. They didn't have legs last night. They just managed to get a bunch by Markstrom because there's just something about this Flames team that something so... How funky is that Flames team? Like, I know these games don't matter, but you can't lose to a Canucks team on a second leg of back-to-backs like that. Like, you can't. You can't. Well, especially, um, when, especially when you have a 5-1 lead in 20 minutes oh. to play. Ghastly, ghastly stuff. Well, and and again, that it's the Miller VC goal that like any any proud professional watching that on the high, highlight reel clips is just going to be like, no, no, that's not that's embarrassing because it was it was embarrassing. All right, so we got to get into this because it's been kicked around a little bit here recently, right? Like he's out of contract at the end of the season, an all time Canuck. And Alex Edler, I mean, the bid for 100 is sort of taken on a life of its own, right? Like, the guy plays a season high, 26 minutes and change on Saturday afternoon in Edmonton, and then logs 28.45 back-to-back. You're talking about the Canucks struggles. <laughs> he played almost 30 minutes. He played more than 10 minutes of the third period on Sunday night. He's getting power play time right now. PP1. Tom, this feels like the farewell tour to me. Like, they are doing everything me too everything in their power to get this guy that hundredth goal and look the hundredth goal would be a nice milestone it's a want though it's not a need like it's not going to affect the way anybody views alex edler's career right like it's it's a vanity number and i get it and look why not i I have no problems at all with the canucks pulling out all these stops but just watching over this weekend and I've long thought, like when when Trampkin walked away, I thought, man, that opens the door for another season of Alex Edler, left side guy, penalty kill, look at the way they use him. I don't know. Like I, I'm changing here on the fly in a hurry. When I look at a weekend like this, that really felt like an organization just telling this guy to play and play as much as you want until you get that 100th goal, man. It feels like a farewell tour here all of a sudden. It does. Yeah, it really it really started to yesterday. Like PP1 honestly, it's once once Alex Edler hits the ice at 3 on 3. It's just like, "Oh. <laughs> this is uh this might be it." <laughs> you know, there's uh there's no other situation 
where he should be out there at three on three unless you're feeding him to get him his hundredth goal because this seems to be the end. Um, you know, I'm I'm of the I'm of the view that Edler's should have enough respect from this organization that he that he gets to call his own shot one way or another. Um, certainly beginning to look like he may he may have done so already, regardless of whether that's public or not yet. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because, you know, in real time, it looked maybe like he had ripped the shot past Markstrom and then Besser obviously did tip I, it. But I didn't, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was so sure it was Edler's goal from the, from the arena. And then, of course, people are making the joke on Twitter that he got his hundredth. He tips in the game winner. Uh, <laughs> own not, call. We're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to hold that against him in a meaningless game. Uh, it had three on three. What I thought was even more curious though was who else was out there with him at three on three when the winning goal was scored and it was Travis Boyd and Jimmy VC. And this is something that I just do not understand and won't all season long. Hoaglander doesn't get a sniff in OT. And like for years gone by, it was always like play Vertanen. He's got the speed and so much room out there. Play Vertanen. He's built for overtime. Well, he's not an option right now, but Hoaglander has a lot of the skills that you would think would lend themselves to some time and space out there. His quickness, his hustle, his shot. Uh, I am a little surprised. I'm not going to lose it because these games don't mean anything and they could have thrown anybody out over the boards, but it is weird season long that Nils Hoaglander didn't see the ice in overtime. It is weird. You're right. That is weird. And did he get a shootout attempt either, right? Like he, um, yeah, I mean, look, it is weird. It is weird. I don't understand it. Um, I don't understand it, frankly. And you and you're right. It should be pointed out. It is weird. Uh, it's a lot weirder than Vertanen, right? Because <laughs> at three on three, you can do so much damage if you make a mistake, like missing the net wide, right? Like there's almost nothing you can do than missing the net far side wide with a wrist shot, right? Because the puck rims around and it's going to be an odd man opportunity the other way. So you know, not playing a guy who struggles with with decision-making and, and basic hockey sense. Like, that makes sense to me. Hoaglander does not struggle with those things. So, yeah, I mean, play the man. Play the man. Very simple. Play the man three on three. We want to see it. Maybe we'll get to see that. There's still two to go. Uh, all hope is not lost, Tom. There are Hoaglander, still two. Edler, Highmore, <laughs> let's go. There it is. That is the winning try. Play the stars. Right yes. Play the stars. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, I don't want to dwell on last night's game, but again, it gave us a a ton of talking points and one, and I sat out, I watched the game on TV last night. Uh, I was at the rink on Saturday. I don't know if you caught that. You weren't. I I, I didn't, but I caught on Instagram story that you were picking your, picking your outfit. And like, I have never seen such a wide collection of gray checkered sports coats. Like you must have every pattern of gray checked sports coat in the universe. It's incredible, man. 
You have a, you have you have more gingham than a than a picnic. It's truly tremendous. And uh, and and I'm but I do think ultimately going navy. Like you look sharp. You looked you looked very good on the panel, my friend. <laughs> all that monochromatic option, or all those monochromatic <laughs> options, and I went with blue. Uh, yeah, good, good call. Blue like like yes. ditch the sepia for TV, bud. Larger than life. <laughs> next time, next time we'll have you in a Don Cherry coat. Let's go. Fifty Shades of Grey, Drancer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's disturbing. <laughs> yes, best left to to move on from from that. I, I do, but I wasn't at the rink last night, but I, I saw it online, and I know that you noted it as well. Ah, uh, the tribute to Ian Clark for fifteen hundred games. Yeah, awesome, <laughs> awesome stuff for him. To, I mean, it's a nice milestone. It's fantastic. But, but just relay the story if people haven't read your recount in the uh, in the armies. Because well, yeah, I mean the thing the thing. You know, I, I'm I'm I sit down pretty close close to where Woodley sits during games, and uh, immediately immediately after it, I I yell out and I'm like, uh, how Demko react? And he's like. He's like big stick taps on the bench. What about Marky? Like we both were watching the the two star pupils <laughs> <laughs> with a laser. Marky didn't flinch. It was incredible. Um, no reaction whatsoever. And you know, I, I I read a lot into it personally. It matches some of what I'm hearing in terms of you know where that relationship ended up. But the the key thing that you know, to underline here is like Demko would love to continue working with Ian Clark. Obviously, obviously that's not true for every goaltender, by the way, like it says a lot about Demko that he wants to work with a guy like Clark who tends not to have the most warm relationship with the goalie he's working with, at least while he's working with them. You know, he often gets close to guys after they're no longer, you know, being ground down every day and, and working through his system. Um, but, you know, Demko, Demko really wants that opportunity. And the Canucks have committed $25 million to Demko. It's insane that they wouldn't commit a pittance of that, like a portion of that, to the goaltender that's gotten the, or the goaltending coach that's gotten the best out of him, you know? Uh, it's really impressive. The work that he's done in Vancouver has been really impressive. The track record over a decade has been really impressive. Even my, you know, my like Cluche apologism, right? Like Cluche was a Clark to, uh, pupil. He was figuring it out. There's a lot of evidence for this. Um, yeah, I mean, this one, this one makes no sense. Just a complete, a complete unforced shoot yourself in the foot error uh, beneath a baseline expectation for any NHL organization. This is the type of unforced error that losers make. And, you know, it, it, it's really unfortunate. Like, it's just there's not there's not a lot else to say about it. You know, the the coaching staff as a whole, I think, has been mistreated through this season. But the Clark situation in particular, and especially because of the context of that Demco extension, is the most unforgivable spot of mismanagement of all from this organization this year. Well, this is our first VanCast since the news broke over the weekend about the Canucks reaching out to Jeff Cortnell again. We're going to get to that, and I'm sure people have been sitting, listening, and thinking, like, when are you guys going to touch on, on that? We'll, we'll get there here in a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, again, we'll get to Jeff Cortnell here in a sec, but... Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, Sirloin-a-Lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink? Meatballs. Very good, sir. Our buddy Dave uh, checked in one more time here after the weekend with the updated steak bet. Thomas and? Was, yeah, this was not a good weekend for me. Uh, yeah, Dave baby. Said, Dave wrote, he said, bad weekend for Team Tank and bad weekend for J-Pat. <laughs> Let's go. Well, the Besser now, goal. Besser with two goals. That was big. Yeah. So you now lead by one with two games to go here. Ooh. You got the Besser Who's, goal. You got the shorthanded goal by Horvat on Saturday. Right. Who's so, your best bet at a comeback? So the way Dave figures, I need two goals from Tanner Pearson over these final two games. And no goals from Horvat or Besser. I like my odds. So do I. Yeah, so do I. I'm not ready to the concede defeat. The computer always wins, baby. Not ready to concede defeat just yet, but yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I'm like Brock Besser. Nate Schmidt is an option for me as well because oh, I had right. him at seven. I had him at seven. You had him at four. He's well, at five right now. So they're sitting. They're sitting. He's going to sit next game, maybe. Yeah, but there's two games, so he might yeah. go out with a blaze of glory on the final game. That would be great. <laughs> a Nate Schmidt hat trick to, to finish the year. And oh, God. I, was, I, I still, like, and maybe I'm totally wrong here. Like, I may be misreading the room. I, I don't want to get inside Daryl Sutter's head, but I still think Louis Domingue is going to play on Tuesday. And you think that benefits you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what I think about that, to be perfectly honest with you, but... I, if Markstrom runs the table here, he's up to 16 straight starts, and they've been done for a while. Yeah. Give him the day off. Give Seriously. the guy the day off and just play Domingue. <laughs> play Domingue. Play Domingue. It's time. If it this is. is shades of, this is shades of, um, of April la- last year or March last year, J-Pat, it's time to play Domingue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get hey, I, was there in, I was there in Columbus. You weren't. I for know. his one appearance as a Vancouver oh. Canuck. Oh. Yeah, it didn't go so well in the third period. No, it did more not. for the hockey team that day. Uh, and that's when Travis gave me the, the silent treatment. He wasn't yes, liking it was. me. <laughs> yes. <So> we, <laughs> and now he's getting the silent treatment that's from true. other people. Right. Mm-hmm. But, so let's but use that for, as. But neither, neither of you are getting the silent treatment from me, which is key. Nah. Okay, no. well that's good. Yes, I don't ever want, don't ever want that to happen. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, Sakaris <laughs> floated the name Jeff Cortnell on Friday afternoon. Elliot Friedman backed that up and and added to it a little bit more. 
uh, during that broadcast on Saturday. Uh, and then, I, I, honestly, Tom, I was surprised like that Kuz was uh, good for Kuz, but I was surprised that Jeff Cortnell was talking. Like, I would have thought if he was being brought in that sort of the first rule and all of this would be, you know, this whatever we're talking about stays in-house. Now, he didn't talk to Kuz about what has been discussed, but just the fact that he was willing to uh, offer up sort of his thoughts on, you know, what his role could be and what it would look like and his wants and wishes for the organization. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, Courtney was willing to speak on the public record. So I called Jeff on Friday and I got him. He thought I was his son. <laughs> like, like he doesn't have me in his caller ID. So he thought I was you're, his kid. You're, every, you're everybody's son. <laughs> <laughs> and he was mid bike ride in Pemberton, like mid mountain bike ride in Pemberton. Brief chat, polite, no comment. And, you know, he did not. I did not get the sense from that conversation that this was a guy on the verge of taking a high pressure, high profile sports executive job right like and then and then i read the kuzma quotes and you know (laughs) trevor linden politely and awkwardly sort of giving a non-answer on breakfast television this was not right like this was not that um i don't think i don't think courtnell sounded more like an aspirant right than a you know, waiting in the wings, savior about to walk in on a white steed and like conduct a search and, you know, put a smiley face, put a flying skate clad face on what's been a disastrous season for this franchise. Right. Um, that's how it read to me. And and here's the here's the other thing. Like. They say that history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as farce. Right. Cornell would absolutely be the farce version of the 16 playbook, right? Like of, of the, of Trevor Linden, right? Like he doesn't have Linden's gravitas or weight in this market. He's not a franchise icon. Um, frankly, he's probably not as high profile a businessman in this community. Right. Um, right. Yep. Arguably he has less experience since Linden at least had his tenure with the PA. Right. Um, like, like, is this organization so bereft of ideas that all they can do when things go bad is turn to someone who wore the flying skate in the 90s? Like, is that where we're at? Where we're at? Is that where we're at? Because, you know, Jeff Cortnell is not exactly like a heavy hitter. This is not the big guns befitting a destination franchise in the NHL, right? This, this feels like, um, you know, a, a desperate phone a friend for a lifeline. <laughs> if anything <laughs> and um i'm not i'm not taking it super seriously but it doesn't strike me it doesn't strike me as even the type of rumbling that you know canucks fans sort of eager to see the organization take the types of steps that might restore some confidence not just in this marketplace but but around the industry and this organization's direction um would be seriously pondering at this point yeah, and, and, and I mean, certainly from when his name surfaced on Friday, you know, there was this sense that maybe it was for like one of the top executive jobs. That that sense kind of has, I'm with you, like that that has passed now. Uh, you know, one of the real knocks on the organization when they, well, even go back to, to Gillis, like, you know, no experience in that position. 
you get experience the longer you go. But, you know, when he was hired, no experience. And then Jim Benning and Trevor Linden and Willie D and, and you know, now Travis Green. Like, the idea of... And I guess it's it's sort of that battle because we always hear too about like why the same old hockey men like so yeah. you're damn. I mean, I don't think I don't think GM experience is as important to me as like have spent twenty years working in the industry. You know what I mean? Like it's not about have you been a GM before. It's have you spent you know like Jim Benning was not an inexperienced candidate in the same way that Trevor Linden was. Right, he had been in hockey ops and. Yeah, know, like if you're around day to day, you know, like Bill Zito, been an agent, you know, on and on. Like that's not an inexperienced candidate, right? Like that's not what we're talking about, right? It's the it's the out of no like Brendan Shanahan, not an inexperienced candidate. Ret- retired immediately, went to work in the NHL front office, ran a department at, at the NHL for five years, then goes and becomes a team president. He's been successful. Like that's fine. That's not. That's not a career path that to me, I'm like, well, that's an inexperienced executive, you know? Um, I value life experience. Like, I value the experience of having been a player. I think there's a ton of value from that in terms of, of being going on to be an NHL executive, if you're bright about it and curious. It's just, you know, it's a huge gulf between taking the path that like even a guy like Luongo's taken after his playing career and taking a path like Lyndon or Cortnell, right? Where you go into business and, you know, enjoy biking and skiing and, and all of the good things that life on the, you know, West coast offers, right? Like there's, that's, there's, there's just a dis- huge distinction there, huge disparity. I don't think the Canucks need to get someone who's been a GM before. They just need to, at least that's my opinion. They, but, but you got to at least get someone who's like worked in the industry you know, like, I want to see the non-sexy names. I want to see, like, Ross Mahoney and Chris McFarland floated. I don't want to see, and if I'm a Canucks fan, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see, you know, Cliff Ronning. Like, who cares? Who cares? Like, what are we, what are we talking about here? Why, why, well, I, have, I, have, why, I have no issue with outside voices at this point because, I mean, the front office here is so thin. Look at the Leafs. Look at the Leafs again today. Haley Wickenheiser. You know, they, they right. promote her. Like, there's there's outside-the-box thinking in a lot of these other organizations, and we have noted for a while that, you know, the Canucks front office is getting leaner and leaner. Uh, I have no problem with outside voices. I like the fact that Jeff Cortnell is a BC guy and was here in 94, and he saw this franchise at its height, one of his, the best eras in franchise history. Like, he knows what the Canucks mean to the city and the province, but that in and of itself doesn't make him this candidate that's going to be able to get them to where they need to go now. But he has a baseline at the very least. He was on the inside. You know, he's played for other franchises. He knows what good franchises do, the way they take care of their players. And, but but Pat, he hasn't played in the NHL since 2000. I understand that. So that's a, that is a concern of mine. But I do think that, you know, when you said like there's value in being a player, I think a player that played for a bunch of different organizations and just saw how things were done in different places. That's where I come back to, you know, an outside voice, even though he has strong connections to the Canucks. I have no problem with that. Like, I have no issues. In fact, I think ownership should be reaching out to other people. But when it comes time to finding, you know, another candidate to run the operation, and and I want to show Jim Benning the due respect. Like, he's still got the job. Like, you know, there isn't an opening at this stage. So, no, you know, it, it, like... 
But I'm with you. And and look, Chris McFarland is the kind of name. Like I, I think that's a guy people don't know, assistant GM in Colorado. You look at the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we've spoken at length on this pod about you know the way that they've built and, and look at them now. And um, you know, yeah, like there are so many smart hockey minds, outside the box thinkers, people that have come from different avenues and different areas. I mentioned the Leafs, like I'm really fascinated by the way the Seattle Kraken have built out their front office. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know ultimately if it's going to pay off, but here they have this blank slate and they have built like these massive departments in hockey ops and research and development and analytics and everything else. And, you know, they've tapped into some of the brightest minds in the tech sector in Seattle. And, and, and I love that. Like it, ultimately the game's played on the ice and we'll see if that can gain the Seattle Kraken competitive advantages here. But they're doing things in Seattle that certainly aren't being done here in Vancouver right now. No, but it's it's you know it's a matter of resources and and look here's here's a big one like when the when Dave Nonis was fired, Mike Gillis was hired a week later. When Gillis was fired, Lyndon was announced the next day. Right? Um, there's this this sense around this marketplace that this ownership group likes to hire. Before they fire, right? Like they like to have the answer ready to go before they pull the plug. It's like they don't want to withstand or take accountability for the change in direction themselves. So they want someone else to be the face of whatever change they make. And what that means is that over 15 years of the Aquilini stewardship as owners of the Canucks, at no point have they conducted a significant search for a leader of hockey operations. Now, in the event that they decide to make changes this week, right? In the event that that transpires, like especially right now at this moment in Canucks franchise history, is it not crucial to go get the unvarnished truth from 10 to 15 of the smartest people in this business about what your franchise needs, how it's perceived, what optimal strategy would be? For both a short-term and a long-term view, like you can learn a lot. You can gain a lot of information. You can gain some self-awareness, perspective, if you go through that type of process. Like for me, that's an absolutely essential step that this club needs to take. And if you're bringing in a name like a Jeff Cortnell, it should be to sort of help conduct that search as opposed to you know, to be a, a ready, ready-made like microwave burrito president. You know, that's not that's not where this works. That's not how this makes sense. It could make sense if it's restrained in a certain done in a certain way and done with an eye toward, you know, I, I mean, the two ways it makes sense is if they believe that Cortnell can help them build a bridge back to Mike Gillis. <laughs> like, ah, he helped yeah. us introduce us the first time. Maybe it can happen again. Or or more likely, if you're bringing in a guy to like help lead a search and then eventually he's sort of a consultant on the side, an extra body in hockey operations, like that could make sense. Anything short of that doesn't. But, but again, like why are you bringing in Cortnell to do that when you, when you have Stan Smeal? You know, like you, don't you have the more experienced option internally anyway? Don't you have the guy with the longer career who's seen the ups and downs and you know, knows what this organization does at its best and where it's gone wrong at its worst. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me, j None of it makes sense to me. I think that's putting Stan in a tough spot. I mean, you're basically asking him to 
have a hand in finding his boss's replacement. And, you know, that's, again, where I think there's just a, a little bit of a gap between uh, Jeff Cornell and the organization. And he's at an arm's length at the very least. And, uh, you know, that's where I say go outside the organization. So, I, I, but I'm with you, Tom. And I, I think this is really important. Like, remember when the Mike Gillis Pittsburgh manifesto surfaced? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm the Canucks, like, if you are going to look for new executives, you know, put out the call within the hockey world, uh, see who's interested, make the phone calls, whatever. Uh, you, you get it down to a short list. At that point, I'm so with you. Like, I would, I would ask, you know, your four finalists to present, you know, outside views of the organization, like the cold, hard truth of, like, look, this organization needs a reality check. What they've been doing here for the last bunch of years isn't working. And so independent voices, independent thoughts from people that want this job, like, you're right. Like, you're interviewing them. They're probably interviewing you a little bit. But you can gain a ton of intelligence on your organization and the way it's viewed around, you know, the hockey world and in hockey circles uh, by hearing these people out. Like, to me, I think that should be a massive part of the project, uh, pro- part of the process, rather, uh, rather than, as you said, like having the heir apparent ready to go again, make the move, and then bring in the next guy the next day. Like, it's time for everybody just to step back and find the best candidate. And I don't care, you know, I don't care who's involved in finding the best candidate, just find the best candidate for the job. If you think that that's what's needed and, you know, it sort of feels like that's where this is all headed. I mean, this is going to be a fascinating week, I think, in yes, it is. history. And and that's why we don't exactly know when we'll record next, right? Like we're going to be right. reading and reacting no, a little bit on, this week. We're on, st- we're on standby. We're on standby. Yeah, we are absolutely in um, emergency pod territory here, right? And, you know, I don't have a sense. I don't have a sense for what comes next. I don't think the Canucks have a sense for what comes next, to be totally honest with you. What I can tell you, though, is I do think things have functioned normally over the course of the last weekend and like last week between ownership and, and Jim Benning. Like, I don't think there's been imminent internal signs that you know, something's going to change rapidly here. And yet the industry seems to expect it at this point, some kind of change. I don't think anyone has a sense of what's coming. And, you know, most people who are close to it seem to indicate that, you know, a decision hasn't been made. Probably a problem in that, right? Like what, what are you going to learn from these last four games that you don't already know? You know, like it, it, it just reads to me like scrambling desperation. Right. And then and then to have the Cortinal name floated just sort of adds to that perception from my end anyway. Uh, I'm really curious to see how this goes down, um, if anything goes down at all. Uh, and I'm really curious to see if the Canucks can find a way to chart a new direction that actually looks healthy and makes sense. And, and ideally includes like a hockey operations department that both has sufficient resources in terms of actual voices, like right now, Canucks hockey operations, basically four major voices, you know, in yeah. Vancouver anyway, right? It's like no one else functions that way, you know, like other other people do like meetings, discussing moves that have 25 people on the Zoom call, right? Like multiple different group chats and different working groups and, you know. That, that this this group just doesn't have the resources to do that. And in addition, 
don't have enough independence, vested independence in terms of how, you know, the level of oversight that ownership has, you know, imposed, especially over the last 15 months to really get anything done or put a long-term plan in place, especially when, you know, the budget they're given isn't just lean, but it's managed arbitrarily. Um, yeah, I mean, this organization's got a long way to go to get to get back to, you know, the type of footing where they could win durably. And it starts in that boardroom. Like if this team doesn't figure out a way to start winning in the boardroom, they're not going to figure out a way to win consistently on the ice. Right. And, you know, watch, we used to joke on the podcast about the, the wait a sec guy. And it doesn't feel like there is that guy in the organization because there are so few voices at the, the highest executive level, uh, you know, to sort of counter anything that is suggested or floated. Uh, they just seem to to run in, you know, a consensus uh, among the few that uh, are in there in the, in the positions of power. I, I thought there was another example over the weekend, Tom, too, of just the dysfunction of letting your coach flapping the wind the way they have with Travis Green, like after Highmore with his two goals on Saturday in Edmonton and Travis Boyd scored as well. And Travis Green was asked on the post-game Zooms about, you know, like next year, like, you know, what what kind of role could you see a guy like Highmore? To, and, like, and if you're Travis Green, you're probably sitting there thinking like, what the fuck, next year? Like, it, who knows? Like, who knows if he's there? Who knows if Highmore's there? Who knows if Travis Boyd is a part? Like, it just didn't seem fair to be asking the coach questions about roles for these players for next year when no one knows if he's going to be part of this thing moving forward. And I think we all kind of get the sense that he's not right now. Well, and whether he is or not almost doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter in terms of how we evaluate the process by which this organization goes about their business because, you know, Business Administration 101 will tell you that aligning an organization's global interests with those day-to-day interests of middle management, and, and by middle management in this context, I literally mean a president, a GM, or a coach, right? Like, key decision makers. Um, you know, that's that's like at the rudiment. That's like one of the basic challenges that large businesses deal with and there's a ton of theory on how to do it, how to go about, you know, doing so with best practices in mind. And and the Canucks have just completely abandoned that. I mean, look at Braden Holpe, right? Like after those Toronto games, right? Holpe's game sort of seemed to have rebounded a bit. Like, was there not an opportunity? What was the old plan? Speaking of things you guys used to talk about on the podcast, what was the old plan to juice uh, Anders Nilsson's numbers? Operation... Yeah. No, Project Cable Box. Project Cable Box. Boost the Nielsen ratings. Would it not have made sense <laughs> to do Operation Cable Box for Holtby after the pause? Like, tell me that wouldn't have made sense. Try to try to up his numbers, get him to a 9-10, you know, maybe make him a little more appealing to Seattle, clear that cap space for next season. And instead, they went right back to just like grinding Demko while Holtby got the second leg of back-to-backs where the Canucks rarely show up. And and even if they do show up, they show up in the third period the way that they... And sorry, by show up too, I don't mean the effort's not there. I just mean they have no legs. Like there's nothing to give uh, for Canucks players in those games. And Holtby's been getting all of those. Like they have not Operation Cable Boxed Braden Holtby here. Isn't that the sort of thing you think a coaching staff might have done if they weren't grinding every point from the season. 
You know, well, like that's all, the sort it, of it, that's it, the sort of thinking that this organization just has had none of all season long. And considering that they're, you know, poised to likely finish seventh in the North and have done nothing with their eye on anything beyond this season, like they've lived day to day, that is just appalling. You, you can't allow it to happen. Right. So, so a couple of things. One is it was Project Cable Box, and that's where the project. Boxford Project came from. Oh, um, really? Yes. <laughs> Good. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, with the program here. Come on. Um, My bad. And the other yeah, one was, it, you know, Botch laid it all out, and he had handpicked these starts for Nielsen against crappy teams to boost his his value, his save percentage, and his numbers overall. Uh, a little different this year, just with the you know the All Canadian Division. Um, and the other thing was like. It was fine for Botch to float that as a notion, but that is one thing like Travis Green has always done, has thrown his backups just the shittiest assignments. Like Nielsen always got put in no-win situations, and ultimately, there weren't many wins for him. Um, you know, that was just the way that Travis Green operated. So even if it sounded like a great idea in theory, uh, you had to get the coach to buy in, and it didn't seem like that was going to be the case with Anders Nielsen, and I don't think that was ever going to be the case here with Braden Holpe for, for whatever reason. Fair enough, but I'm I'm just saying those are the types of decisions that I yep. wonder about. And I and I think we've seen a lot of them. Like I think there's been a lot of cases where, you know, if you'd if you'd had different incentives at play, uh if you'd managed those incentives differently, you would have seen this club try different things at various points in the season. Um, you know, not not putting people in an in in an opportunity where, you know, they have any incentive to align their <laughs> theirs with yours um you know that's just that's again that's loser shit jpat that's beneath the the reasonable standard the baseline expectations we should have for a functional nhl club with any type of ambition and i'm sure Braden holpe is counting down the minutes to get in the back oh, end of the back to, back sure to finish sure. this thing out 100%. on wednesday Demko gets the home finale. Not that there are people in the seats. There's the cardboard cutouts. But, um, you know, he'll get the home finale. And then, yeah, no, they'll they'll split these things. And, you know, the Flames, I'm sure, will want to win the final game of the season. And they'll probably put Holpe in another tough spot on Wednesday. And who knows what kind of lineup we'll see. Edler will be playing 45 minutes because he'll still be on the quest for goal number 100. So I, I'll be curious to see what they do with Edler here. Like if they if if he does call the shots and if we see a repeat of these last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, we'll see something. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's the marketing. That's I like that. Uh, we'll yeah, market these final something. two games. You'll see something. Uh, we're, we're just talking about Canuck goaltending. Uh, should mention as well. Uh, a couple of uh, other pods here at The Athletic that you may uh, very well be interested in. Ryan Miller is going to be the guest of Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly on The Athletic Hockey Show Tuesday edition. So that'll be posted tomorrow. And Ryan Miller obviously announcing his retirement. Yeah, I'm sure we'll uh, spend some time reflecting on all of his years in the NHL, including the three seasons that he spent here in Vancouver. Don Waddell, the GM of the Carolina Hurricanes, joins Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on Wednesday. And Aaron Andrews spends the full 60 with Craig Custance on the season finale of the full 60, and that comes your way Thursday uh, here at the Athletic. Uh, big decision for me, because uh, I'm going to come to the final game of the season, so I'll see you at the rink. Now I just have to decide which of my uh, 19 gray jackets to wear uh, for the occasion. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, no, or, or where, 
Or is black maybe? Oh no, it doesn't have maybe to be that black is a uh, wear both. I say I say you wear two. Wear one inside out and uh, and backwards, and uh, and that'll look good. Yeah, I think that I think yeah. Maybe. It's time to it's time to take some risks. Maybe I bring that. We're in that point of the season. Like you gotta you gotta bring something different. Ooh, maybe I bring three. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's like that's like uh, a player playing in a milestone game, right? Like one for the Hall of Fame, one for the foundation, and one for me. <laughs> well. The Hall of Fame can have its pick of any of my gray jackets. I think they'll have a tough time deciding. <laughs> and then if I bring three, what happens if the game goes to overtime? Oh, so many decisions. Uh, yeah. That uh, was sharp. I like that one. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring out the blue one that I wore on TV the other day. You wrote about this on Friday as well. Like these final couple of games, we're getting the Calgary feed. Uh, again, things that don't make a ton of sense, but this is where we are. We get the Calgary feed for these final two games, even uh, to the Sportsnet Pacific audience here in Vancouver. Hey, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Tanner Pearson and Nate Schmidt on a rampage to finish out the season in a huge way to turn the tables mm. in the steaks bet. Mm, I can already taste that medium rare pepper crusted steak right now. Mm, don't be delicious. <laughs> yes, when uh, restaurants are no, when restaurants are I... open, when restaurants really? are open, and we can dine in. Whoa. Well, no, we can do patties. It's gonna be like a takeout sort of deal. <laughs> I'll find I'll find a good patio steak. Yeah, we'll figure out the logistics of how this bet will go down. But it has to. It's not over. It's not over yet. But the podcast is uh, for Drancer. Uh, this is Jay Pat. Again, we are on standby. Emergency pods uh, coming your way if and when. So uh, let's see what this week brings with these final two. And then uh, perhaps some decisions that may alter the course uh, of the Vancouver Canucks. As always, thanks so much for your support of the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>